0: Hello everyone and welcome to From Tip to Tail, a podcast dedicated to animal welfare. This podcast is sponsored by Cuddly. Cuddly is the only crowdfunding platform built specifically for animal welfare organizations worldwide. I'm
1: Bridget. And I'm Sydney. We've spent years working with animal rescues and have seen such amazing
0: innovation, strength, and heart. Having this personal connection with rescuers has made us more informed, grateful, and inspired. We hope by giving you an inside look, you will be too. Today, we're gonna be sitting down with Athena
1: Denai, founder of Peta Lions Heart, an organization with a mission to help save lives of animals that are in shelters or abusive and neglective situations and give them a chance in life while educating the community on animal welfare. This is a rescue that is so near and dear to her hearts. So we are so excited to bring Athena on to talk about the start of her rescue, the significance that supportive communities have had in her growth, and the dogs that have made the journey all worth it. If you like this episode, be sure to click that subscribe button to listen in on similar stories. Other than that, let's get started.
0: Hi, Athena. How are you? I'm doing good. Thank you. How are you guys? Really great. Yeah, doing good. I'm excited. I feel like we're in like a nice transition period where it's like finally cooling off and we're entering a new season. Actually, today's the first day of fall, isn't it? Oh my gosh, it just about is right. Mm-hmm. Thank goodness.
2: So Today's the first time I know one fact. <laughs>
0: Please make it be a fact. I know. I'm I'm ready for all the seasons to to get underway. I feel like I've been in uh, Groundhog Day for a little bit here. So, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that that's not how you feel. Especially rescue work. I feel like sometimes one day feels like a whole week. Yes. So we're such a big fan. I know you, we've been working together for a little bit here. But just rolling back the clock, wondering if you can tell us what inspired the rescue to get underway and what inspired you to get involved.
2: February 4th was the first dog I ever took in 2018. So I came up with this idea probably maybe three weeks prior to that. It was something that I was like, okay, this will take a few months, maybe four or five months to get in underway. And when I first sort of started doing all the paperwork and everything, it just happened that somebody... I used to be with a few other rescues and I think someone just thought I was still with other rescues and contacted me about a dog that named Sky that was going to be put down if nobody would take her and nobody was taking her. So they begged and begged and begged. And I was like, oh my gosh, what do I do? You know, And they, and they woke me up at three in the morning for this. So I was just like, I guess I'll just take her and wing it. And I did. And I winged it. And she, you know, she ended up opening up the rescue as far as, I couldn't believe it when I posted her the next day. It was like all these followers I had from the previous rescues just kind of stepped up and the amount of support was unbelievable. I couldn't believe, I mean, they literally, I, you know, I posted help for the medical bills because she was hospitalized and she was on her deathbed and they literally, everybody just couldn't help enough. Like they just wanted to do everything. They started donating, even donating for the startup of it it was so overwhelming. It was nothing I ever expected. I mean, I expected to have to really like start off very, very slowly and start fundraising first, but there was no starting fundraisers to get started. It was literally before day one of even opening, it was here, boom, your first medical case. And I think that set the precedent of we started becoming a medical rescue after that. It was very interesting. I wanted to start a rescue. And on my website, it actually has a little blurb. There was a dog named Lion, which is where the rescue's name came from, Key Lion's Heart, there was a dog named Lion that I watched him get bounced around so much from one place to another and everybody kept giving up on him to another, to another, to another, to another. I mean, he went through nine homes in less than nine months. And to do that was a lot on this dog and it took a toll on his mental health. And it broke me just knowing that if I had some sort of say in what was happening to him, I would have done it differently he ended up having to leave us. It was very, very hard for me um, to let him go. It was the day I held him for the, his last you know, moments that I swore to him. I would never at all in my power, I would never let another dog suffer the way he did and go through what he went through. And that's where the idea came. And that happened in December of 2017. So in January of 2018, I was so like, I, you know, trying to get over losing him and things. And it was just in my head, like, I just, it was I, I couldn't stop. I was fixated. Like I have to help something. I have to do something, and that's where the whole. Let me get something in the works, and that's how the name came: the Key to Lion's Heart, because he held a big part of my heart, and the way it was just I don't know how it's just Key to Lion's Heart. Like these dogs are finding this is their key into his heart, which is my heart. So Lion and I kind of have a heart together. So that's how that name came about, and that's how the rescue started. Wow. It gives me like tears and like chills. He was a great dog. He deserved better. He deserved more. We should have done more for him as humans. And now we've been given that opportunity and that's what we do. I mean, this rescue, there is no, we don't, we won't never give up on a dog. And even in the end, if it, for any, you know, whether it's medical, we have to let them go. We never gave up on them. And even that piece is not giving up on them. That, that piece is letting them go in dignity and in peace. And of course, it proves harder on us because we're very emotional. I mean, in the in the three and a half, almost four years we've been running rescue, I've only had to let go of three three dogs medically. There's you know they we've had to make that call. But as far as being able to, I mean, we've spent thousands just working working with the dog. We've gone up to twenty thousand dollars just trying to rehabilitate dogs. So we do that as well, whether it's medical or behavioral. We will never stop. Like I will keep going until until it, we know that when we have to make a decision, what's right for the dog, but it's always what what's right for the dog. It's never what we want or what everybody else wants. It's always what's right for the dog. The dog comes first, always.
0: Right. And I love what you're saying there too, because I'm sure it's something that every rescuer has to deal with at one point or another. Unfortunately, unfortunately, but I think that word that you said is, is what makes all the difference is that dignity that you're giving them. And the fact that it's not a flippant decision that you come to, because I know in a lot of like shelter environments where they're really like forced, if they hit a certain capacity to kind of make choices just based on numbers and kind of, they have to have that distance, I think, right? Like from these animals, when they're euthanizing so many you kind of have to distance yourself emotionally um, and they become like trading cards in a way like so you have a list and you have to just select someone for the list when in rescue it it does make such a big difference that every avenue is is pursued you've given animals that shot and when they are like had to be let go it is with this like heart and this loving Mm -hmm. aspect to it it's it's a very different sort of passing I think
2: It is. And when someone asks me, what's the hardest part of rescue? That's the hardest part of rescue. If I could just say there's one part of rescue I don't ever want to have to deal with, it's making that decision. It's the hardest thing to do. It literally, I can make any other decision, everything else, just, but that decision is, that weighs heavy. It weighs heavy. And I know it weighs heavy on a lot of rescuers' hearts. So it's something I, if I can avoid it and and find a solution, whether it takes six months. I mean, we've had dogs in rescue for six, oh, geez, six, seven months, just doing rehab, having them. We've got trainers. We've got people who work with them. We have amazing fosters who know that these dogs need a lot of work and they will attend the training sessions. We've got a dog that goes to training at least what once every other week is do- doing lessons, but they're doing them daily at home, has done through two, three board and trains and is making progress. So I see If it, if we weren't seeing progress, it would be different he's making progress. It's just taking more time. And a lot of people will say, you know, about dumping resources and things, but we're, we're lucky that we have the trainers that work with us. So it's not like it's a, uh, there's no way we can do it. The trainers are compassionate that we have, and they're into the animal rescue world. So they're willing to work with us. So we don't have to make that decision yet that we can still try and work on it. That's the behavioral piece as far when it comes to the medical, I think that weighs really heavy on our heart too. I mean. There's dogs that I have sat in the ER and I'm just looking at the vet, like do something. You have to be able to do something. Like, what will it cost? What will it cost? I know our community is so good. They will do anything. I think that's really a hard decision too. And that's where we rely on uh, the doctors to really guide us through. And we've been blessed I and mean, we've had some really good doctors. They know our situation and they know what extent we'll go to and they will do it. They will do whatever they can in their powers as well. and we end up taking dogs that we know like those dogs will take and we're just like, Oh my gosh, this is the taking a dog. And will it make it to tomorrow? I don't know, but you know, what do you do? Mm-hmm. We take them. And the only reason we can do that is because like I said, it was from that day one, the first dog, February, 2018, I took sky and it has been since that community has grown and they are so supportive. They know even we'll even say, we don't know if this dog will make it to tomorrow this is the bill that it's going to be just to keep them alive until tomorrow to see if the specialist can you know save this dog. And people don't care. They'll still be like, we're going to help you. I mean, how lucky and blessed are we? Because without them, there is no saving that dog. I didn't save that dog. They did. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Absolutely. I'm overwhelmed with the amount of support this rescue has. It's nothing what I expected when I started this rescue. This is nothing. Like I never imagined it to be like this today. Never rewind time and tell me this is what it's going to be like. I wouldn't believe you.
0: Well, and I think that's so important too, because I love what you were saying about like resource dumping and people are like, oh, that money could go like to, to a different cause or somewhere else. And I love what you're saying there is like, well, if we didn't have the community we have that are saying, yes, we want to commit to this dog, like they wouldn't even be possible to begin with. It's a whole community coming together to help these animals on an individual case by case basis that is sustaining you. It's not like you're on your mountaintop, (laughs) like saying that we're going to distribute funds to this one dog and no one else. It's the community stepping up and supporting you and loving the things that you're doing. And I think at a certain point, like people vote with their dollars. That's clearly the way that they want to support you. (laughs) These dogs are lucky but you're giving them the chance to be lucky. So, and I think it is so important though, like going back to Sky, I think there are so many people that have the mentality when they're raising funds of like, they get a little nervous and they don't want to raise funds because in their head, they're raising funds, right? But I love what you're saying is like, you were advocating for these animals. And so it's like, it's not for you, it's for Sky. It's for these individual animals. Mm -hmm. And when you think of it like that, it makes it so much easier to like hammer away on your social media and to be a big advocate and be really outspoken because it's not you trying to raise money for yourself.
2: No, and this rescue is 100% nonprofit. I have got the most amazing team. No one is paid. Everybody's doing this out of the kindness of their hearts. There is zero employees in this. Everyone is a volunteer and everybody has a full-time job, like everybody. I mean, I work in a high school, you know, Monday through Friday all day. So it's like, we have two full time jobs, but we do it because we love them. That's where we find in a way, maybe it's kind of selfish. We find satisfaction in it as well, but even days that we want to give up, there's days where we're so tired, like tears. I mean, I have broken down. Like I can't today. Like this is one thing after another, after another. And then you see the lion. I don't know if, you know, lion who had two braces, had was deformed, dumped in a dumpster. You see him and, in his forever home living so happy with his little legs, you know, running around his little Boy, prosthetic leg. Him. Yes. It's like you see those dogs or Cleopatra that you saw her in the shelter, just shut down, just skin and bones. And then now you see her running around on what is it five acres and swimming in a pool with five other dogs, just living the, like the life I want. Like, can they adopt me? <laughs> That's what makes me happy. You see the, the nutcrackers who, he lost his sibling. They were both in the ER and I tried so hard to save Nick, but then, you know, I couldn't, but Nutcracker, and they, you know, they were, everyone was like, you got to say goodbye to Nutcracker. And I'm just like, I don't think so. I can see it in his eyes. I'm there, I'm holding him. Like he doesn't want to die. Sure, $17,000 later, but look at him today. He is living the life. He's got a sibling sister who adores him. I mean, you see them together all the time. So he was like my, by love, like seeing that, that's why we do this. And what did we gain out of it? Just seeing him in his home and seeing that he's loved. That's all I need to see. That's all my team needs to see. It's what we want to see. It's what we, why we do it. Our families suffer. Our personal lives suffer a little bit every, yeah, every day, really. But you know, we're also lucky we have such amazing loved ones who understand why we do this. And, and so that helps. But that's why we do it. And I'll be honest, I don't know if we could do it without you guys. Like, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> You guys have helped us so much with these dogs. You guys are such advocates for us. And I have to make sure that is like you guys, I give you so much thanks for that. Like I, I don't know if it's that you see our dogs or you see what we do, but either way, without you, you guys are one of our biggest part of our communities. Your community is our community. So when I say if it's not for our community, I'm including all of Cuddly and you know everybody that's within your community that has supported us. It's amazing. I must tell my team every day, thank God for cuddling. (laughs) Like, they just helped us with, we just had Dixie with her surgeries or Bravo with his double, both legs crushed by being beaten by his owners. Like, you know, things like that. We couldn't do it without everybody. There's no way. And that dog literally was 30 minutes from being euthanized. It was like a rescue step up. All I did was I freaked out because I knew he was going to be, and he is, he's cost us 15 grand so far. And I knew it. And I knew it was going to be, I just knew it. I was like a double four breaks in one. Like it was just so much. I'm like, ah, what do I do? What do I do? I was like, I have faith. I know our community will step up and here we are. And he's, he, he both legs and in rehab and doing fantastic. I couldn't be happier for that dog.
0: When we're in such awe of you. And I feel like this is something that we've all like on the team have come to learn. And it's almost like a hard lesson sometimes. Cause we're learning that no matter what we see on our end, it's really just the tip of the iceberg of what you're experiencing all the time. And I mean, it's hard enough on us, but we're like imagining everyone who is like basically taking from their own pocket, from their own lives and investing in these animals that other people have given up on. And more than that, turned their backs on in a lot of cases. I think it's just something that people forget, like, and especially on social media with The way that it's structured, I think it's a very reductive image of like, what is going on with that animal? What is going on with your rescue? And people don't see the day-to-day of like Mm -hmm. your whole team coming together, of your 3 a.m. phone calls and of you having to make that decision of like, is it this animal's time or are they still fighting and are they still working to heal and like move into the future, into a new home, into a happier life? I'm wondering, because I know so many rescuers know that feeling of like, I know this animal still wants to fight, but it's hard to illustrate, I think, in a lot of cases. I mean, you're seeing so many animals who are in such dire straits that I'm wondering if you can maybe illustrate like what that fight looks like to you.
2: So I can tell you two off the bat, Maryland was one. And Marilyn, I didn't even hold Nutcracker. I held him. I could see it. I looked into his eyes. I knew he was not ready. I don't know. Don't ask me what it was. I had my team on FaceTime and they're looking at it and they didn't want to go. Of course, they're not going to say, Athena, you're making a mistake. They're just like, okay, well, if that's what you think. And they told me later, they were like, they were certain he was not going to make it. But, you know, I can't explain it. Something just holding them, knowing them. And the doctor saying, let's just, okay, if you want to give it one more day, Athena? whatever, so be it, we'll do our best. And he made it. But Marilyn, she was only a few weeks old and her whole entire litter was eaten by a snake. They were outdoors in South Carolina. A lot of times, you know, in the rural areas, they're just outdoor dogs. And this, we weren't sure if she was bit by a snake, whatever, but she had been in liver failure from day one. When she was at the ER, they told me she's not going to make it. You need to let her go. And I'm watching her. I'm like, let me see her. I'm, you know, I want to see her. So there, of course they FaceTime, you know, everything I'm watching, I'm looking at her. I'm like, no, give her to the weekend, at least give her to the, is she in pain? The first thing I'm always going to ask is, is she suffering? And they said, well, she's on heavy pain meds. Okay. So is she hurting? Like, I don't want this little two, three week old baby hurting. Is she hurting? Well, no, she's, she's comfortable with the pain meds. Then give her to the weekend. Just let me, I need to see her through this at least till Sunday. They were certain they were telling me, Athena, you know, I do think that she's, even if she survives, she's going to always be in liver failure. I said, but can she live a good life up until the day that, you know, she can't. They were like, well, if she makes it through Sunday, I'll never forget that phone call Sunday night. I don't know how she did it, Athena, but she is standing up. She's, I'm like, okay, let's see how it goes. And they said, but if you wanted to let her go now, wouldn't be the wrong thing to do is what they kept telling me. I'm like, but is it the wrong thing to keep her alive? Well, no, okay. And she lived seven of the greatest months ever in my home. Yes, we had to do the fluids every night. We did fluids, she did blood work, she was, you know, hospitalized a couple of times, but she was the happiest, spunkiest puppy. And everybody that was with me in that rescue at that time, you know, everybody that was following us, which still do, they'll always remember Marilyn. She was literally the face of our rescue for that whole time frame. She was everybody's sweetheart. And eventually it did take, you know, she did go into kidney failure. And as soon as she did, I knew it was time. I knew it. I could see it. I knew her it was time, but I refused. I cannot tell you what it was when she was in that ER that I refused. And people knew that this is a dog that's not going to live a full life, but yet they still wanted to to support and provide medications and things like that. And you know, it's not cheap, obviously, a dog in kidney failure, but but nobody ever questioned it, not one person ever. And then you've got Mila, who's still available, who's still with us here. She is a year later in August, those doctors worked phenomenally. Same exact situation found in a ditch five weeks old, but neurological, deaf, blind, neurological, couldn't stand up, kept toppling Mm -hmm. over at the ER. They're like, Athena, you got to let her go. Is she in pain? It's always my first. They're like, well, no, is she on pain meds? Yes. But there's something wrong with her. Okay. Give her to the weekend. It was exactly the same exact thing. Almost a year to date to the date. It was almost like Marilyn was there with her. Like, and I felt like it, it was weird. I was just, I told everybody, I said, I think, I think Mary Moo is like on, like watching over her. And sure enough, they said, I said, give her to the weekend, gave her to the weekend. They're like, okay, she's a little more alert. Her vitals are better. You know, she was, cause she was crashing. And she came to me, same time frame about a week after being hospitalized, she came to me and sure, she was toppling over. I mean, she's Mila's the neurological dog. She walks backwards, she spins. I took her to the neurologist. I mean, I never gave up. Those vets are still shocked that she survived. This is the dog that should not have survived. Like this dog should not have lived. And the neurologist told me she'll never live a normal life, but she could live as much of a normal life as a normal can be for a dog who is, you know, has no coordination or, and that dog runs. She runs sideways, but she runs. She loves, she plays, she snuggles. She can eat on her own now. She can find her water on her own. She can actually hear again. Her hearing is there. Like it's not the best, but she can hear. She'll always be blind. She'll always be uncoordinated. But that dog is the happiest little dog I have ever seen. And I'm so grateful to the world for supporting us because I would have never known how amazing this little dog could be. And she's been looking for a home. I think a lot of people are hesitant to take a dog that's special, but that special dog, she's the best dog. I have I don't even know how I'm going to let her go. You know what I mean? Like I don't I, don't know if I let her go for the, for the right home. I would, you know, only because that's what I'm here. for. I'm not here to keep all my dogs for the right home, as soon as it comes I'll, I will know it. But it's like, that's a dog that, that they told me would never live. That's a dog that no other rescue would touch, but I don't know what it is about us. I don't know. I, I, I don't know why maybe it's my team. I mean, I always try not, if I have to make a rest decision at 3am, I'm going to, I try to involve my rescue partner all the time. I'll call her and be like, what do you think? These, there's four Parvo dogs, like four, four Parvo dogs. You're looking at 10 grand a piece here. The South is a little cheaper, but here, you know, and we're like, well, what are you going to do if you don't take them? Are they going to die? I'm like, okay, well, guess what? Bring them. And then we wing it. We'll figure it out. We, let's hope our luck never runs out <laughs> is what I'm hoping for. But And if we can't save them, we still give them the best shot. We'll never not do that. That's what we stand for. Every." Every dog's life does matter. So I understand that whole, like we said, if people think that uh, you're putting $17,000 into Nutcracker, 17 to 21,000, I don't even know. He was probably the most expensive dog we've ever had. But in people said, you know, you're dumping all these resources to a dog that might not make it. I'm like, but he has a soul and he has a life too. Like, I I don't know. It's And it is a hard thing. It really is so hard. Well, how, How do you put a price on a life? Right. And it's like, I hate that because I'm like, you're right. I could save like 200 dogs. I could say probably get 200 dogs vetted, vaccinated, you know, all that stuff. But then how do I'm looking at them? That's why if I meet them, they sucker me. All these shelters know if they just, <laughs> if I meet the dog, I'm I'm done. Like you're going to say, no, I went to the shelter. I shouldn't have walked through the shelter. That was my mistake. I walked through the shelter. Now I can't leave without these dogs,
0: right? They know this. Well, I know you said it. I mean, community is clearly such a big part of what your organization does. And I'm wondering how you deal with that sort of communication, what you relay to your whole community, because I know we've talked to different organizations and everyone kind of has their own secret sauce to make their organization what it is. Um, And sometimes it's kind of airing on like the lighter side of things and kind of being hopeful. Some people are just like, let's get raw and real and be so open. I'm 100%. I hate the, the word
2: transparent, but I am. There's nothing this rescue will show it all this is the chance of this dog. It might not make it. It might make it. Here's the bill. Everything is always up front. There's nothing hidden. Anybody can ask us anything. We will tell you. And what we do, what I at least really try to do is make, when we post, especially the medical dogs, we try, when we post all our dogs, but when it comes to those medical dogs, which is a lot, we try to make everybody else feel like they're, it's their dog too. It's not just our dog, It's everybody's dog. They're updates. Like they'll know exactly what the vet said. We try to keep everybody as updated as possible because I do think it's important that if they're, if they're supporting and they're donating towards this dog's care, you should know just like I, like I get the phone call from the doctors every, you know, day or twice a day or three times a day. Sometimes then you deserve to know exactly what the doctor is saying too, because this is just as much your dog at this point as it is my dog. You know what I mean? It's not my dog. It's our dog. And that's why a lot of times we post our sweetheart. It's everybody's sweetheart, you know, Marilyn, when she was, you know, all her updates. That's what we do. I don't know if it's our secret, like the way we try, the way we, we're, that's our mindset isn't let's do this because it will lead to people wanting to work with us. We do it because we feel that it's the right thing to do. Does that make sense? It's the the right thing to do for everybody.
0: Definitely. Yeah. And I think too, when you have those like layers of sometimes, one situation is not, it's not all just like very simple. There are layers to it and it's complex and let's all be together on the same page with what we're dealing. I think that's such an important point. Also love that you're just mentioning updates. (laughs) I was going to say, I love the updates. Even if it's one person,
1: that person's still putting their life and and dedicating their time to follow that pet story. They deserve an update.
2: Yep. I agree. I'll remember when I before I was running my own rescue and I was working with other rescues or, you know, I would donate towards this dog or that dog, you know, 10, 15 years ago, even five years ago when I was with rescues, you know, I always, I'm always like, I wonder what ever happened to that dog. Like whatever happened to that dog? I love closure. Like I love to see this dog is adopted or this dog is doing great, you know, rehab or even dogs that just needed minor surgeries. Like it's great to see what they're doing now, even with, I think line was one of our biggest, I mean, people love that dog. I mean, how cute can you <laughs> get? Like, and even I think up until a few months ago, we posted him in his forever home, just so people could see him on the deck, just hanging out with his little legs. And and the other dog he was adopted with Wanda and they were just hanging out, but it was great. Where are they now? They're living the life. That's where they are. And why? Because everybody else made sure of it. You know, I think that's huge. That's really important for our community. It's important for us to be able to share it. And I love sharing that. That's the best part of rescue. That's what we rescue for. Like I was saying, like, even when you want to give up, then you see those endings, those happy endings. And then you're like, that's that's exactly why we're here.
0: Definitely. I know, I feel like too, like one inspiring story has the power to help so many other animals too, because I feel like it lifts everyone's spirits and they're like, okay, I need to donate to five more animals (laughs) or like I need to share or Mm -hmm. even to the degree of like one animal is what pushed you to start your organization. And so I think that is such an important point. I love that so much. (laughs) So we always like to touch on, I know we're still kind of in the midst of it, but we always like to touch on over the past year or more here, the world has gone through a bit of a change. (laughs) And I'm wondering how that's impacted your rescue efforts and what you've been doing. So
2: it's been through two big changes, I think. When COVID first hit, Back in March of last year, we couldn't provide enough adoptable dogs to people. <laughs> last year's adoptions were insane. We could not keep up. We had to put an away message up for everything. And so people could get automatic response. If we, it's going to take us five to six weeks to get to your application. And where, where, where we never, Jeez, a hundred apps a day. I mean, it wow. was insane. We could not keep up. Like we just could not keep up. And it took a lot of time. And that's where, you know, a lot of volunteers stepped up fully. And so we saw such an influx of dogs getting adopted. And again, one thing we are, I cannot emphasize this enough, it's quality over quantity. I am not looking to adopt out 500 dogs in one month. I'm looking to adopt out to the right homes, the best homes. They are screened thoroughly. I mean, our adoption process as it is, is already about a week when we're not having 300 apps you know, all at once. But now you're looking at, you know, people were waiting about four weeks to even get approved to adopt. So even if they were applying for a certain dog, they weren't going to get it. And they kind of knew And people were just at this point applying just to get a dog at some point. And so we went from that and we were, we got great homes. You know, we have a lot of restrictions in place as far as training, you know, is required. And that has kept our returns very low, like very low return rate, thankfully to now, now is a whole different story. So we went from just your average adoptions to like we just skyrocketed like skyrocketed like we couldn't keep up but now it's a shame to see that once the summer came and everybody you know things were getting lifted there's a crisis and the shelters are in crisis and our hearts i mean every day we're having to turn down dogs and i hate i hate it so i cannot say no. i'm really bad at saying no now we're at the whole new change of nobody wants to adopt because everybody's going back to work fosters are scarce now and shelters are over capacity again versus where they were getting emptied. That's taken a toll on us a little bit as far as emotionally more than anything else, because we've never had to say no to so many. I mean, this year, just starting from I think April, April is when it really started to just the adoptions declined and fosters declined. And it's a shame. And we see the rescue, please, and we're begging, we're begging for fosters, we're begging for not even, it's not even so much adopters, it's begging for fosters. If we can get them to foster homes, We'll get them into their homes. It's just a matter of getting them out so they're safe for now. One thing I do not do is, another thing is boarding. I learned a lot from Lion. He was bounced around so much and was constantly put into a boarding facility and and then to another boarding facility and another, and what happens when a dog is is left in boarding? I can't. I watched him deteriorate and as much as I would go every day to get him out of there as a volunteer, just to get him out and walking every day, I would go there, feed him everything. It still wasn't, wasn't a home. So boarding is the last case resort for me. Like I will not pull a dog from a shelter to board them. I will find a foster home. And if they can't find a foster home, they're going to have to, I guess, come to my house. It is what it is. But we haven't had to board a dog since January of 2019. I have not boarded a dog and I won't. Unless a foster has to go out of town for like a week. But we haven't even had the board for that. We have foster step up and say, I will tent foster for a week. Like we haven't even had the board for that. I think we've been lucky that way. But that's what we're seeing as far as with COVID. We saw a huge influx. It was great. We got a lot of dogs homes to now we're we're seeing too many dogs getting euthanized.
1: Right. And I did want to ask you this only because I I was having a conversation with somebody, I want to say like two or three weeks ago, they were interested in fostering, but they were super hesitant of having to foster long-term at your organization specifically. Do you have the option to be so-called temporary foster? Can you pick a certain amount of time or things like that? Yes. We love temp fosters. So temp fosters, when we have people that can't foster for a long time, but want to foster
2: to help out, those are the fosters that we need when this foster is going out of town for the weekend because they have a wedding or something like that. We'd love to have fosters that are just, I can take for three or four days at a time things like that. Yeah, they can absolutely, we can use a foster for, you know, obviously we love long-term fosters, but even those long-term fosters have a life. They have to go out of town sometimes or they have to, you know, do things. So having someone who can take versus it always being the same person who's already full with dogs, being able to take a dog for
1: a weekend is, is amazing. Like, absolutely. We would love that. Love that. Yeah. She was like, I want to foster. I just, I don't think I could foster for six months and I'm, I'm seeing like a lot of like organizations, they like those six month to, you know, potentially years fosters for like the long-term fosters. And I was like, I don't think that you'd necessarily have to foster for that long. There's lots of organizations who would be probably happy if you did it for a week, two weeks, something, you know, a lot smaller, something that you're capable of.
2: Yeah, and usually with those fosters, and a lot of times we'll say we need a temp, like we're bringing in a dog. It's going to have to come in this Friday off transport because I'm not going to leave it in the shelter an extra week because there's a foster willing to take them on a Wednesday but they're coming in on a Friday before. So I just need to foster from Friday to like Wednesday morning. Is there anybody that can step up, please, for like five days? Those are priceless. We need those. Absolutely. Love that.
0: Yeah. I love the gratitude that you're expressing there too, because I think even in some of the organiza- organizations I've fostered for, like a lot of times it's like, well, can't you just take two more dogs? Or can't you just say, you know, it's like kind of pushing it. But the fact that you're like, no, we need those little bits of time. That's so amazing. I know too, a lot of people are always nervous. They, I can always hear that they're like, I can't foster, I couldn't let them go at the end. And it's like, well, if you're watching him for a weekend, then yeah, <laughs> there's probably less risk there. <laughs> oh yeah,
2: that's true. This is true. And we do get a lot of those people that say, I can't foster because I won't let them go. I'm like, but you know what? You can, you think you can't, but you absolutely can. Especially if you can get through that first one though. Sometimes, you know, a lot of people want to adopt the first dog. They're like, oh, I want to adopt this dog. I'm like, can you just really think about it? do you really want to adopt this dog? Or is it because, you know, it's your first foster dog and you just, you have this overwhelming feeling because if you can get that first dog into their forever home and feel that satisfaction, you'll want to keep fostering. Mm-hmm. But you know, sometimes they really want to adopt their dog. Who am I to tell them, no, you can't have this dog. You fall in love with it. I just, I try to make people think, just really think about why do you want to adopt this dog? Just really, really process it. Why do you want to adopt? And you'll be surprised. Most of the people will be like, okay, okay, okay. I can do this. I can do this. And they do. And then they're so grateful that they didn't keep that dog because then they have, before you know it, I love seeing this when they say foster dog number 20. Yeah. And it's awesome because then they're to them, it's like a sense of like, they're doing something. They're helping Mm -hmm. the rescue. Well, you didn't just help one dog, you helped 20 so far. And on top of that, you didn't just help these 20, you helped 20 others that you just opened up those kennels. I know it's like redundant. People say this all the time, but it is true. You take a dog out of the shelter, it just opened up that kennel. I've seen it happen. I've seen myself walk out. I've seen myself walk out with eight. Like I'll go to South Carolina. I'm like, okay, give me these eight for now. Let me set up transport for the other ones. Cause I only have space of eight for my car. Let me take these eight right now. And then you'll see all those open up. But then there's, there's those dogs, especially the outdoor dogs that have not, they come in They're in a kennel, they're, they're safe. You know, I watch that. So you do, you save not 20, you save 40, God knows how many after that it's always nice to see our fosters acknowledge that. That's what I try to get them to see. It's
0: a ripple effect for sure. Oh yeah. I know. I love that. It's like, it feels like too, like almost a badge of honor. Like I think of it like a passport. It's like, Mm -hmm. how many stamps do you have on your passport? Um, Oh yeah. It's pretty cool. It's a sense of satisfaction. It's awesome. Definitely. Well, so I know you just said you're going down and you're, you're filling up your car and you're doing some transports. Is that your typical mission and is that something you were able to sustain over COVID as well going down south yeah
2: you know it it put a, a little damper when they closed borders and things the nice thing is when they did that you could travel for what did they call it like necessary travel or whatever and rescue was part of that like transporting animals to safety was considered a necessity and we do have good transport companies i just it's nice i can you know FaceTime with the shelters, they'll show me dogs, they'll test them, they'll, you know, I'll get to see their temperaments, everything. When I can find some time to go there, of course, then it turns from I'm going to bring four to I'm going to bring 14. (laughs) But that's the difference when I go versus just, you know, pulling them and having them on transport. But COVID didn't stop us from being able to bring dogs in. Sometimes it would delay because if the driver was exposed and, you know, things like that. What was different was the way we did meet and greets or being able to get dogs into homes. But a lot of things you had to take a lot of extra precautions, a lot, like the whole dis- social distancing. We require everybody to meet their dog prior to adopting. Everybody in the household must meet the dog before they can actually adopt that dog. And it was a little bit hard at first, but we did you know figure out safe ways to do that. And everything was done outdoors. We had the long leashes. And so we did work it that way. Thank goodness for a lot of virtual, there is you know FaceTimes, things like that especially when it comes to home checks and being able to be in the home. Matter of fact, we have found that our home check people are way more thorough and detailed now than they ever were when they were going inside the homes. So we didn't ex-nay like completely home visits. So those are required. I will not adopt a dog into a home that I have not had somebody go in and see it, whether it's walking every single inch of that house, which you see a lot more when you're on camera doing that and walking the whole perimeter of the fence line. I mean, we do, I mean, nothing changed with that.
0: Well, and are you typically adopting out to people who reside in Maryland or is it all open? So
2: with COVID we did because adopting a dog was not considered a necessity travel, you know, like that was not necessary just to adopt just for transport purposes to get them out of the shelter was. So we stuck to the Maryland, DC, Virginia area. We, and then now we've opened it back up to Pennsylvania. I try not to send my dogs too far Because if I need a lot of times, you'll be surprised if the doctors have, you know, are having any sort of issues. I've gone into the homes or one of my team members have gone into the homes to see what's going on. Or, you know, we whereas once our dog, always our dog. That's how we operate. So if the adopter is having any issues with the dog, we're there. Like we are there. How can we support these adopters? We have trainers working with these dogs, everything. So I don't want it to go too far because I can't access the dog. If it's in you know, New York, there are exceptions like our senior dogs, hospice dogs, those dogs, if they have phenomenal homes in New York, but again, they have to drive here to meet the dog. We don't do same day adoptions. So then they have to come back for the dog. Most of the time they'll spend the night in the hotel and come back. And then, you know, those are some serious adopters. Like they are serious about this dog. I have no worries about this dog going there, but mostly we do try to keep it within like a two hour just in case.
0: That makes sense. And I mean, it also makes sense why your community is so strong then, because you're, you're kind of with them every step of the way through training, especially when you consider like these parvo puppies. I mean, that's a, that's a whole life <laughs> that you're committing to. Mm-hmm. They are young and they are going to be with you through the whole journey. So that's amazing. I love that so much. We do have some kind of fun questions. <laughs> so I know you mentioned your kind of like the overflow house for any dogs that don't have fosters. So who do you have in your home right now? So I actually have just done a, the biggest change I've
2: ever done. I just listed the house. Oh Wow. Yeah. And believe me, it's been really hard. So I did have, I had four fosters, I have four of my own. And then I have, uh, I had four fosters. So Mila being one, that's Mila, my little neurological dog. So she's staying with our trainer because our trainer has fallen in love with her. So he's holding on to her while I am, the house is under contract. So I'm looking for acres. I must, I need space. So I'm buying a house that's bigger and I'm buying more space. This is me personally. It's got nothing. This is not, you know, rescue has nothing to, I mean, obviously the rescue is driving my passion. It's my personal home, obviously. And it's the best time right now if I'm not going to do, if I'm going to do, I got to do it now when I'm going to get the most for my house now. I mean, it's an investment in the long run for myself, but I'm looking for acres, two acres minimum, hopefully, and bigger house. So I can have more space because we've grown, the rescue has grown. And so before dogs return, we make sure we've got trainers going and making sure it's, there's no other choice kind of decision, especially if the family's like, I can't do, it's breaking my heart. I can't keep this dog. You know, these are what I'm behaviors I can't deal with. We're like, hey, let's bring in a trainer. Let's see. And actually eight eight out of 10, they stay. But it's that small percentage that when they have to come back, I prefer to have them in my home if it's an issue so I can assess, observe, work with the trainer, see if it is something that requires just a specific type of household or if there's, I have to be realistic, some dogs just, just like some people were just different and they're not wired correctly or something's wrong. And I know that there's no amount of training that could actually fix certain issues, but thankfully we haven't had much of that at all. Like, and we've been lucky that adopters, there are adopters that are step up. They'll be like, you know, I'm just looking for the dog that no one else can handle because it's just me and I live alone and I'm not having kids and I'm not getting married and I'm not I'm like, <laughs> love you. Where are you? how many <laughs> more of you can I make? So that's why I'm looking for a house like that. So I did just lose a couple fosters. I had Spotty right before I left. He had to be moved. Fergie she found an adopter last minute, phenomenal home. I'm getting Mila tomorrow. I'm keeping her with me. Just, I miss her. So she's coming to stay with me Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And then she'll go back to our trainer. And then I'll I'll probably start taking her weekends. I miss, I miss puppies. I miss the dogs. I miss the going crazy in my house because I'm all, all I have to do is clean up all the time. I'm like, why (laughs) am I doing this to myself? It's funny how you go crazy and you're like, I can't do this anymore. And you're crying on the floor like, why? Why do I have 20 dogs here? And then like, <laughs> now I'm like, I am I need dogs. I can't do this. I can't do this. Well, I'm not even in my own house anymore. I'm uh, in between. So I don't really have much of a choice. I mean, I'm lucky somebody loves me enough to take me in four dogs. <laughs> you know, I've got my <laughs> four with me because that's one thing I'll tell you. My dogs stay with me no matter what in life. It's like, you guys know, I'm sure. I don't have to tell you that. I've been blessed that I have this opportunity. And believe me, I have this conversation with me five, six months from now. I'm going to be like, which dogs would you like to meet first? I cannot <laughs> wait. Like, I cannot wait. It's very lonely in my house right now. I'm lonely.
0: I love my dogs, but I'm lonely. <laughs> I can't imagine being lonely with four dogs. I mean, you're going to convince Sydney here to get a, a fourth in a second.
1: <laughs> I know. I, we were talking about how easy if three to four, it's probably going to be nothing. It's probably going to be so easy. It'll happen soon enough. And my four, and I can tell you my, I have one dog that absolutely loves,
2: she's like the mama of all dogs. And right now she is not happy. She's very upset with me. (laughs) All she has to hear me say, is that your baby? And she's like, where, 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 I'm like, there isn't one. So puppet, I don't know if you guys have seen puppet. He's my little um, dumpster dog as well. He was thrown in a dumpster at one week old. Wow. And we were able to get him. He has a, he had a broken front leg and now it's deformed and whatever else. So. He's five weeks old now, so his foster said she would bring him over so I
0: can have him for a little bit. I'm having withdrawals, guys. <laughs> no lie. Well, so how about this? Historically, what is the naughtiest thing an animal has ever done? In my house? Yeah. Or outside your house, but... Do you really want to know? Yeah, <laughs> I do. It's
2: funny because I every time I think someone has topped it, I'm going to say Spotty is going to win the award right now. Spotty. I guess he knew I was moving him to another foster home and he is obsessed with my dogs. Like he lives for my dogs. I don't know if he was eavesdropping on me. Spotty is my feral dog. He's like super feral and that's my specialty. Feral petrified dogs who never want to come out. I can get them to come out of any shell. Like that's just what my household does. I have the dogs for it and I have the space. Not as much space. Now I want like four Spotties. But Spotty decided one day, two days before he was leaving my house to go to his His foster, which as soon as I get my house and taking them back, unless the foster wants to hold on to him, I guess I won't rip them out of there. But I love this dog. I don't know why. I was sleeping, middle of the night, just sleeping, minding my business. And I felt something really warm. And I wake up to Spotty on top of me peeing. He peed on me. Like, I was like, are you serious? And literally, the second I saw that, he just took off and ran. And this is a dog that you can't pet. If you try to pet him, he's bolting. Like, he's like, don't touch me, don't touch me, don't <laughs> touch me. But he follows you all over the house. I have never in my life been peed on, on my bed, in the middle of the night. I don't know. It was the only time he has done that. I literally woke up and he was peeing on me. I had, I didn't let the foster know. that I was like, I just want you to know that he peed on me while I was sleeping at like, I don't know, four, or five o'clock in the morning. Just letting you know, I could not believe it. I couldn't. Lion would oh win gosh. the next award. I mean, Lion was pretty bad too. Lion did all those, you know, little antics like you would lion stole everything and anything. And when he was a baby, didn't care. Like you'd go to put your shoe on. You're just like, why did I just put my shoe on? There's like poop in here. I guess I don't understand lion. No. <laughs> oh. but you know, again, he was six months old and he was and that, whose fault. Now the only person that can be blamed for is me. Why you practice what you preach, Crate them at night. So you're not just free roaming and doing whatever they want. Right. That was my fault. I took blame for that. I will never blame the dog. Whose fault is it? Mine. Why was my door frame chewed? My fault. (laughs) (laughs) My deck got eaten up. I mean, I had no deck. I I literally replaced it, put a brand new deck in. Trek, so they can't eat, eat it anymore as far as it being wood and call it a day. The dog's got a new deck. The dogs have a pool. My house had a pool. The dogs had a pool. The pool was there for the dogs. Next house, bigger pool. They love it. Rehab. A lot of rehab happens in my pool too. Like dogs with broken legs. Like it's a shame right now we had had Bravo about a a month ago, he would have been doing rehab in my pool using, you know, that. So that was one of the biggest reasons I got a house with a pool as well. Everything I think I do is for the dogs.
0: (laughs) Now that you're assessing.
2: Yeah. What part of my house was not for the dogs? Clearly my bed was for the dogs. I mean, Spotty definitely marked it there. I wouldn't have it any other way. But yeah, peeing on me wins the award. Peeing on me in my sleep wins the award. Forget it if they lift their leg and pee on you. That just means they love you. But when they pee on you, when you're sleeping, that Spotty and I have a lot to discuss before he comes back.
0: Oh my gosh. That's some very serious payback. Oh man. Mm-hmm. Next question I have, I know mate might be a little controversial, but I'm wondering if there's another rescue or shelter that you love the work they're doing and you kind of have like a crush on what they're doing. So
2: I do have one that I absolutely love. So Sarah Pugh, Sarah Pugh with Pew Zoo Rescue, she did end up closing Pew Zoo Rescue and she opened up a new rescue recently. But before I started Key Lions Heart Rescue, when I was in between rescues, trying to figure out, you know, when you leave one rescue, you know, I had Lion, I just dealt with that. And I was like, what do I want to, I got to make changes, but I'm not ready to start a rescue, but I can't not foster a dog. Like, what am I supposed to do with my life? Somebody told me about Pew Zoo Rescue and I was like, huh, let me check them out. And Sarah Pugh fostering for her was unbelievable. The experience and the experience I had with her and the knowledge she had, and she put the dogs first. Like it was so long since, you know, I'll never speak ill of a rescue, but this rescue put dogs first. And that's what I wanted. I was like, you have the same exact goals that I have. Everything, your mission, everything is what I have always wanted. And so I decided that I was going to watch everything she did. And I asked a lot of questions. And I told her when I was starting my own rescue, and what'd she do? And you know, most rescues competition, absolutely not. How can I help you? Anytime I had a question, I was calling her. And so Sarah Pugh is my mentor to this rescue. She has a lot to do with the ways that this rescue is because I learned a lot, even fostering just, I only fostered a couple dogs with her, mm-hmm. but it was the experience and then watching and hearing and just being around that rescue that I I learned a lot. And anytime I was like, well, dilemma or moral, you know, I didn't know, I knew I could call her and she doesn't tell you what to do, but she, she you know, like therapist, they kind of like, they kind of let you bring it out and it worked. And so now she has a new rescue, Fairy Tales, rescue in Maryland and I absolutely love their work and I will always if you know if ever they're like hey can you split a litter can you anything it's it's I'm calling her because I know I never leave family members behind in any rescue there will never be where I'll take this family but not take the the father the mother the there's no such thing as that the sib I mean even I've had 14 dogs from one property because if I've taken the first set of five and then all of a sudden they're they're surrendering six more dogs a year later from the same exact property I have to take those so I got you know I've had 14 from one property and a lot of times you can't just take like 12 dogs came in from a case, but I get so nervous. Like I can't take one if I can't take them all. Mm-hmm. But if, if that, if that rescue steps up for half, I will absolutely know that those dogs are going to good homes. I'm going to step in with it. Like that's my go-to rescue for everything.
0: That's amazing. Oh yeah. I think it's so incredible that you found someone that like has the same heart for you. And that you can like work side by side with. That's amazing. And I'm sure it's only benefiting both of your rescues, like being able to be in lockstep like that. Incredible. Well, so our last question is a little bit more like philosophical, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Is there one like motto or like saying that you live by? I think I the one thing I do live
2: by is the quality over quantity. I've been saying that for, and I know that's everybody's motto for little things, You don't hear it much in rescue, but it's is—it's the quality over the quantity as far as how many dogs can we place into homes. It's not the amount of dogs I can place in. It's the best homes, I guess, for these dogs. It's not how many dogs can I pull. It's the homes and the care I can give these dogs. So I'm not going to pull 50 dogs and put them into boarding just to have those 50 dogs to work with. If I have a foster open and they're going to get the good care or the medical care they need, they're coming. That's
0: one thing we do stand by
2: is our quality, the quality that we give these dogs. It's the quality for the dog.
0: Definitely. I mean, and it sounds like with Lion, it all started there, seeing how being aborted and bouncing from home to home impacts a life. So I love what you're saying then. It's like you're speaking from experience, like I'm not going to do this to another animal or every life you're in to impact. Yeah, I yeah, made a promise. That's amazing. Ugh, this has been so great. We're so glad we finally got to connect with you. I mean, clearly such a big fan of everything you're doing, so keep up the good work and send your love, our love to your team too. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for everything. We loved talking to Athena. It was so inspiring to hear the ways that she's working to stand out as a rescue organization and how she's bringing her community together you want to learn a little bit more about key to lion's heart you can check our show notes or our blog
1: and as always remember to rate like and subscribe to this podcast and be sure to follow cuddly on all social media accounts at we love cuddly that's c-u-d-d-l-y thanks guys